Book One, Chapter Three, Paragraphs Twenty Six to Thirty Eight of Progress and Poverty by Henry George. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. It is cases of this class that are always instanced as showing that wages are advanced from capital. For where wages are paid before the object of the labor is obtained, or is finished, as in agriculture, where ploughing and sowing must precede by several months the harvesting of the crop, as in the erection of buildings, the construction of ships, railroads, canals, etc., it is clear that the owners of the capital paid in wages cannot expect an immediate return, but, as the phrase is, must outlay it, or lie out of it for a time, which sometimes amounts to many years. And hence, if first principles are not kept in mind, it is easy to jump to the conclusion that wages are advanced by capital. But such cases will not embarrass the reader to whom in what has preceded I have made myself clearly understood. An easy analysis will show that these instances where wages are paid before the product is finished, or even produced, do not afford any exception to the rule apparent where the product is finished before wages are paid. If I go to a broker to exchange silver for gold, I lay down my silver, which he counts and puts away, and then hands me the equivalent in gold, minus his commission. Does the broker advance me any capital? Manifestly not. What he had before in gold he now has in silver, plus his profit. And as he got the silver before he paid out the gold, there is on his part not even momentarily an advance of capital. Now, this operation of the broker is precisely analogous to what the capitalist does when, in such cases as we are now considering, he pays out capital in wages. As the rendering of labor precedes the payment of wages, and as the rendering of labor in production implies the creation of value, the employer receives value before he pays out value. He but exchanges capital of one form for capital of another form. For the creation of value does not depend upon the finishing of the product. It takes place at every stage of the process of production, as the immediate result of the application of labor, and hence, no matter how long the process in which it is engaged, labor always adds to capital by its exertion before it takes from capital in its wages. Here is a blacksmith at his forge making picks. Clearly he is making capital, adding picks to his employer's capital before he draws money from it in wages. Here is a machinist or boiler-maker working on the keel-plates of a great eastern. Is not he also just as clearly creating value, making capital? The giant steamship, as the pick, is an article of wealth, an instrument of production, and though the one may not be completed for years, while the other is completed in a few minutes, each day's work, in the one case as in the other, is as clearly a production of wealth, an addition to capital. In the case of the steamship, as in the case of the pick, it is not the last blow, any more than the first blow, that creates the value of the finished product. The creation of value is continuous. It immediately results from the exertion of labor. We see this very clearly wherever the division of labor has made it customary for different parts of the full process of production to be carried on by different sets of producers. That is to say, wherever we are in the habit of estimating the amount of value which the labor extended in any preparatory stage of production has created. 
and a moment's reflection will show that this is the case as to the vast majority of products. Take a ship, a building, a jackknife, a book, a lady's thimble, or a loaf of bread. They are finished products. But they were not produced at one operation, or by one set of producers. And this being the case, we readily distinguish different points or stages in the creation of the value which as completed articles they represent. When we do not distinguish different parts in the final process of production, we do distinguish the value of the materials. The value of these materials may often be again decomposed many times, exhibiting as many clearly defined steps in the creation of the final value. At each of these steps we habitually estimate a creation of value, an addition to capital. The batch of bread which the baker is taking from the oven has a certain value. But this is composed in part of the value of the flour from which the dough was made. And this again is composed of the value of the wheat, the value given by milling, etc. Iron in the form of pigs is very far from being a completed product. It must yet pass through several, or perhaps through many, stages of production before it results in the finished articles that were the ultimate objects for which the iron ore was extracted from the mine. Yet is not pig iron capital? And so the process of production is not really completed when a crop of cotton is gathered, nor yet when it is ginned and pressed, nor yet when it arrives at Lowell or Manchester, nor yet when it is converted into yarn, nor yet when it becomes cloth, but only when it is finally placed in the hands of the consumer. Yet at each step in this progress there is clearly enough a creation of value, an addition to capital. Why, therefore, although we do not so habitually distinguish and estimate it, is there not a creation of value, an addition to capital, when the ground is ploughed for the crop? Is it because it may possibly be a bad season and the crop may fail? Evidently not, for a like possibility of misadventure attends every one of the many steps in the production of the finished article. On the average a crop is sure to come up, and so much ploughing and sowing will on the average result in so much cotton in the bowl, as surely as so much spinning of cotton yarn will result in so much cloth. In short, as the payment of wages is always conditioned upon the rendering of labour, the payment of wages in production, no matter how long the process, never involves any advance of capital, or even temporarily lessens capital. It may take a year, or even years, to build a ship, but the creation of value of which the finished ship will be the sum goes on day by day, and hour by hour, from the time the keel is laid, or even the ground is cleared. Nor by the payment of wages before the ship is completed does the master builder lessen either his capital or the capital of the community, for the value of the partially completed ship stands in place of the value paid out in wages. There is no advance of capital in this payment of wages, for the labour of the workman during the week or month creates and renders to the builder more capital than is paid back to them at the end of the week or month, as is shown by the fact that if the builder were at any stage of the construction asked to sell a partially completed ship, he would expect a profit. And so, when a Sutro or St. Gothard tunnel or a Suez canal is cut, there is no advance of capital. The tunnel or canal, as it is cut, becomes capital as much as the money spent in cutting it, or, if you please, the powder, drills, etc., used in the work, and the food, clothes, etc., used by the workman, 
as is shown by the fact that the value of the capital stock of the company is not lessened as capital in these forms is gradually changed into capital in the form of tunnel or canal. On the contrary, it probably, and on the average, increases as the work progresses, just as the capital invested in a speedier mode of production would on the average increase. And this is obvious in agriculture also. That the creation of value does not take place all at once when the crop is gathered, but step by step during the whole process which the gathering of the crop concludes, and that no payment of wages in the interim lessens the farmer's capital, is tangible enough when land is sold or rented during the process of production, as a ploughed field will bring more than an unploughed field, or a field that has been sown more than one merely ploughed. It is tangible enough when growing crops are sold, as is sometimes done, or where the farmer does not harvest himself, but lets a contract to the owner of harvesting machinery. It is tangible in the case of orchards and vineyards which, though not yet in bearing, bring prices proportionate to their age. It is tangible in the case of horses, cattle and sheep, which increase in value as they grow toward maturity and if not always tangible between what may be called the usual exchange points in production, this increase of value as surely takes place with every exertion of labour. Hence, where labour is rendered before wages are paid, the advance of capital is really made by labour, and is from the employed to the employer, not from the employer to the employed. Yet, it may be said, in such cases as we have been considering, capital is required, Certainly, I do not dispute that. But it is not required in order to make advances to labour. It is required for quite another purpose. What that purpose is, we may readily see. When wages are paid in kind, that is to say, in wealth of the same species as the labour produces, as, for instance, if I hire men to cut wood, agreeing to give them as wages a portion of the wood they cut, a method sometimes adopted by the owners or lessees of woodland, it is evident that no capital is required for the payment of wages. Nor yet when, for the sake of mutual convenience, arising from the fact that a large quantity of wood can be more readily and more advantageously exchanged than a number of small quantities, I agree to pay wages and money instead of wood, shall I need any capital, provided I can make the exchange of the wood for money before the wages are due. It is only when I cannot make such an exchange, or such an advantageous exchange as I desire, until I accumulate a large quantity of wood, that I shall need capital. Nor even then shall I need capital if I can make a partial or tentative exchange by borrowing on my wood. If I cannot, or do not choose, either to sell the wood or to borrow upon it, and yet wish to go ahead accumulating a large stock of wood, I shall need capital but manifestly i need this capital not for the payment of wages but for the accumulation of a stock of wood likewise in cutting a tunnel if the workmen were paid in tunnel which if convenient might easily be done by paying them in stock of the company no capital for the payment of wages would be required it is only when the undertakers wish to accumulate capital in the shape of a tunnel that they will need capital to recur to our first illustration, the broker to whom I sell my silver cannot carry on his business without capital. But he does not need this capital because he makes any advance of capital to me when he receives my silver and hands me gold. 
He needs it because the nature of the business requires the keeping of a certain amount of capital on hand, in order that when a customer comes he may be prepared to make the exchange the customer desires. And so we shall find it in every branch of production. Capital has never to be set aside for the payment of wages when the produce of the labor for which the wages are paid is exchanged as soon as produced. It is only required when this produce is stored up, or what is to the individual the same thing, placed in the general current of exchanges without being at once drawn against, that is, sold on credit. But the capital thus required is not required for the payment of wages, nor for advances to labor, as it is always represented in the produce of the labor. It is never as an employer of labor that any producer needs capital. When he does need capital, it is because he is not only an employer of labor, but a merchant or speculator in, or an accumulator of, the products of labor. This is generally the case with employers. To recapitulate, the man who works for himself gets his wages in the things he produces as he produces them, and exchanges this value into another form whenever he sells the produce. The man who works for another for stipulated wages in money works under a contract of exchange. He also creates his wages as he renders his labor, but he does not get them except at stated times, in stated amounts, and in a different form. In performing the labor he is advancing in exchange. When he gets his wages the exchange is completed. During the time he is earning the wages he is advancing capital to his employer but at no time unless wages are paid before work is done is the employer advancing capital to him whether the employer who receives this produce in exchange for the wages immediately re-exchanges it or keeps it for a while no more alters the character of the transaction than does the final disposition of the product made by the ultimate receiver who may perhaps be in another quarter of the globe and at the end of a series of exchanges numbering hundreds End of Book 1, Chapter 3, Paragraphs 26 to 38 Recording by Tim Makarios, idiophilus.wordpress.com